Welcome to episode 112. Today, Dr. Laura Beth Escalante joins us to talk about her book, Motivating ELs. Welcome to the Teaching Multilingual Learners podcast. This podcast celebrates teachers who answer the calling to serve multilingual students and their families. Your beautiful smile, your beautiful life are waiting for you to shine bright. It's never too early or late to start to rise up and shine. Your beautiful smile, your beautiful life are waiting for you to shine bright. It's never too early or late to start to rise up and shine. Cloud has- Dr. Escalante's book provides teachers with activities focused on developing meaningful relationship with students, an important key to motivation that is often neglected. Through this conversation, you will learn how to build off students' interest to foster total engagement with academic content, breathe new life into content and language objectives, capitalize on student and teacher creativity and innovation, and facilitate enjoyable content writing for all ages. I particularly appreciate the table of contents. It's the ABCs of motivating ELs. It starts with A, amplifying language development, B, bridging content connections, and C, cultivating relationships. This is a tiny yet mighty book packed with so many strategies for teachers of multilingual students. Now, on to today's podcast. I am so honored to have Dr. Laura Beth Escalante here, another fellow uh, superstar from Sightlets Education. So welcome, Dr. Laura, to the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. Um, We're so honored to have you. And we're going to be highlighting your new book, Motivating ELs, 25 Activities to Inspire and Engage Students. So we're so excited for that. Before we get there, can you tell us what is one of your proudest professional achievements? Um, I guess the first one that comes to mind is completing my doctoral degree. Yes. And that's because it was a really long road and a very wise woman named Dr. Lada, <laughs> who's also inside this education. She told me at the very beginning, enjoy the journey. Don't just do it for the destination. Enjoy the journey. And that has really served me so well because I kind of carved my own path and I I took a few alternate routes that other people might not take and it worked for me. So I often share that with teachers as well and students. You don't have to accomplish something the way other people have accomplished it. You can can make your own way. You can decide how it's going to work for you. So, um, I always tell people the the most amazing, graceful God gift I was given was I went and turned in my dissertation and the next day I had a baby. <laughs> so, and praise the Lord, he was a week late because otherwise I wouldn't have gotten and turned in that, you know. Right. So yeah. that was just one of those kind of God winks like, wow, I did it. I made it happen. It was a long journey, but I got through it. So. You said that you, uh, Dr. Laura, amazing professional consultant, leader, author, 
she said that enjoy the journey. What was uh, there are a lot of doctor, doctoral students who are listening to the podcast. What part of the journey did you like the most? Ooh, okay. Man, these are great questions. <laughs> Thank you. It's really fun to think about that. Um, I think the most enjoyable part to me was because I recorded my participants and they were fourth grade students. I recorded them creating one act plays using both Spanish and English. So when I listened to them, I laughed so hard that I often would have to go back and listen again because I was trying to take notes and create categories, you know, dissect the data, right? But I laughed so hard that my face would hurt and I would have to start over because I couldn't even make out what they were saying. So that was definitely the funnest part. And it took hours and hours and hours of listening, but I honestly enjoyed most of it because it was so humorous. And because I was getting an inside glimpse of what I normally would only see the outside. Right. Right. Because I often had my students working in cooperative groups, but to actually hear the details of their conversations and how they were negotiating language, it was so fascinating that I really thought at that moment, okay, all that coursework and all that prep was worth it because this is so insightful. This is so fun. So that was probably the most enjoyable part. Yeah. So just enjoy what you choose for your own research to pick something that you are really going to enjoy right. working with. You said that you worked with fourth graders. So we have lots of elementary school teachers that listen as well. Can you tell us about your dissertation? What was the topic and what sure. did you learn from it? It's like, oh, it's going to be so hard to tell you all about it. You have to stop me, right? Uh, basically, I just really wanted to see how translanguaging worked in action with my students because I had dual language students at the time. So I had native English speakers and native Spanish speakers and some simultaneous bilinguals. And so it was just a beautiful blend of students. And it was towards the end of the year. So they were already used to working in groups. So when, and we, and they were already used to creating one act plays in social studies. And I know you teach social studies. So that was a really neat connection. I was just thinking of, um, basically I was teaching Texas history at the time. And so I asked them to create these one act plays that would incorporate the vocabulary they had learned, the characters they had learned about, you know, the historical figures. And so um, when they were working on it together, I told them your final product has to be in Spanish because that was the target language. But you can use Spanish and English to negotiate and figure out how you want that to sound. And then, of course, there were parameters in which, you know, each character had to speak a certain amount of times. They had to incorporate the vocabulary. It had to be within this length of, you know, um, time. And so they had a lot of fun with it and they became basically screenwriters, you know, because that's what they were, they were transit, they were, they were taking the text and creating a live, um, you know, just oral language basically. So I wanted to see how their oral language was developing as they were negotiating meaning in a, you know, real life situation in that they had to really, they had to really have a give and take with other speakers to make decisions. It was, it's rigorous, it's authentic, it's something that they might do in the future, they'll, they'll have to possibly, well, they'll definitely have to work with other people right? to create something. Right. So you're giving them that authentic collaborative experience, how beautiful, and in that fourth grade. It was really fun, yes. Right. What did you learn about translanguaging as you uh, listened to students? I mean, there were some, um, there were some really just kind of epiphanies that I had where I saw the different dynamics of how basically everyone's personality, of course, plays a role in the way they negotiate language with, with others, right? So there would be different configurations of students. And so I get to see 
wow, in this group, the student was more dominant, but in this group, they held back a little bit and did more listening and just absorbed more of the information. So it was really fun to see how their personalities interacted, right? And then with language to see that even though the majority of their conversations were in English, because most of them were actually more English dominant, even though technically half of my students spoke Spanish as a native language at home. But most of the conversations were in English, yet the final products were in Spanish. And they had, there was a very fluid transition between both. There was, there were very few pauses in which, you know, they had to struggle. And the times that they did struggle, you saw how they were picking each other's brains. Like, how would you say that in Spanish? Well, how would we express that? Or what kind of emotion do we want to, you know, convey in this scene? And um, just seeing that there is such a connection between languages, no matter what your native language is, you're going to transfer all those skills and all that background knowledge into learning whatever your next target language is. So that was really fun to see. This really uh, speaks at the topic of um, multilingual classrooms. I, I am, if, if, I could, if I could have a wand and make one thing possible for just schools, it would be no more English only zones, no more English only signs. And you talked about that and how students are using their entire tools of linguistic resources to communicate and to be understood. And that's what I hope teachers will hear consistently throughout this podcast that, oh, yes, we are recognizing that students have assets and it comes in their culture, in the form of their culture and also their language. And so let's use it so they can participate. I always tell teachers, we want students to participate, seek participation before perfection. Right? And yes. this talks about like the grammar part, because some teachers are like, they have to get the grammar right. Well, you know, let's get them to participate seek participation before perfection. That sounds like a title to a book, Tan. <laughs> <laughs> seek participation before perfection. Yes. I love it. I love it. Yes, it's so true. I was I was just thinking one of my favorite authors and speakers and you know, professors is Kathy Escamilla. And one of the I the big 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 ideas that I took away from her is we are not two separate brains. Bilingual people don't have two separate brains. It's always, we're always a bilingual person. We're always working with different languages in our brain. So like you said, why not encourage students to tap into that, their linguistic resources? She's coming on so, my podcast yeah. as well. So I'm excited. Oh, she's on your podcast? Yeah, and Ophelia Cosilla was also on my podcast. Oh, yeah. Ophelia, I'm, I gotta meet her in person someday. Yeah. I quoted her in my dissertation probably more than anybody. <laughs> she is one of the leaders in our field. She was so inspirational to me, yes. Well, speaking of inspiration, I know that your book is inspiring many, many teachers out there. So every book starts with a seed. What was the seed of your book? Oh, man. I think the seed started when I was working in a very challenging school, middle school, in a hard-to-serve district. And I was working, I was coaching I was doing some instructional coaching with some teachers and I had a brand new teacher mm. and of course she was um, going through a lot of emotional ups and downs because it was a challenging school and it was her first year just like pile all that on top of each other right and I broke it down for her and I said let's try one activity that we think could keep students 100% engaged and help develop their language like let's just start with one strong activity so we did um 
basically stations around the room and they were very structured, high structure, because those students really needed high structure. And I just remember looking at her and looking at the students and just being amazed how they were engaged. And we kept looking at her like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. Like they're enjoying learning. They're writing complete sentences. They're using vocabulary. <laughs> and so I remember thinking, okay, if these students can be this engaged right. when they're usually not engaged in other classes, that means this activity works. That means that this structure works, right? And of course it can be tweaked for different populations and, and you know, target languages, et cetera, et cetera. But when I saw that that worked, I thought, okay, what are the activities that will help develop language and keep students engaged and motivated? Those are the ones, if I could put those all together <laughs> in a book, right? And then it could be so useful for teachers. That was the seed I thought, okay, now I have the idea that I wanna share with teachers. And, and that's when John and I started, John Seidlitz and I started collaborating and thinking, okay, how could we put this into a really usable format for right. teachers? Right, they, I know that, um, teachers, when I kind of consult, they'll always say, give me the strategies, give me the strategies. I don't want to hear the theories, right? So you're, we, we, I love this book instantly because there are uh, 20 strategies that you're going to provide with us already. Right? And so, and it's all connected to research, right? Right. Because you're a PhD, you have a PhD, of course, everything's going to be connected to research and evidence-based um, information and research. So we, you have in the beginning of your book, you have uh, a section called Getting Started with Motivating uh, English Language Learners. You have, let's start with that. What is a challenge for, you said, a challenge for educators of ELs? Can you talk about that? Right. Um, I think what the biggest challenge, just thinking of, you know, like the summer is almost here and they're thinking that already teachers can't help themselves. They're thinking about the new school year. Yes. Um, and I think that, <laughs> you know, getting to know your students and even though it's like the last part, the last section in the book, but cultivating relationships has to come first. It has to come first. You know, even when you're meeting someone for the first time, like you and I met this morning, right? And we just dove in like, hey, tell me your situation. What are you teaching? What are you doing? What's your life like? You know, um, I, it's so easy. And I, I'm speaking for myself. It's so easy to overlook that because you're excited about your, your curriculum, your content. Like, I can't wait to teach them about, you know, world history or whatever it is, right? Um, but yet you have to take a few steps back and, and realize it's not going to take you that long if you are really make a concerted effort to get to know your students as individuals. And I, I try to describe in the book that it's not, doesn't have to be complicated either. You don't have to know your students whole history. You might just know what their favorite, you know, breakfast food is or their favorite drink to have in the morning, right? It could be something really simple, but it can create that quick instant connection that's going to last and that's going to grow with your time, you know, with that student. And then they're going to want to learn from you. They're going to be willing to have that give and take where they're exchanging ideas and they're open to what you have to teach. Because all it takes are for some kids to that quick conversation at the door or that quick yeah. conversation when we were conferencing with kids, like before we get into like that text when we say like, oh, hey, how was that play that you went through or oh hey how was that sports game that you just went through and then we go and yeah. talk about the okay let's look at your argument text right or like, yes right? and so acknowledge like, that they have interest they have individual interests yeah and now that we're online we we have that opportunity to like hey tell us pick one thing that you're grateful for and that happened in the last 24 hours 
Yes. And that's so easy and kids can say so many different things that you that I never knew about kids. But now I have the opportunity because I'm asking kids online this way. Yeah. Right? And it just when you evoke laughter or just an emotion, right. you you have a greater, much greater chance. I remember being in that in um, it might have been that same middle school that I was thinking where the seed was planted. And the teacher pulled out from her closet a ba bags of little Takis. I don't know if you know what those are. Yeah, the little kind of spicy rolled yeah. up chips, like corn yeah. chips. Oh, the kids went nuts. These were middle schoolers. They went nuts. And all she was doing was like, hey, I'm going to show my appreciation for your complete sentences and for you working well on your teams. And the team that's written the most complete sentences at the end of this round gets a bag of Takis. Because she knew that was their favorite snack. And how did she know that? Well, she had had a quick conversation, right? Or she had asked them, hey, what was your favorite thing you ate today? And kids had said Takis, you know, the week before. So she just took it upon herself. Okay, I'm going to get a bag of Takis, you know? So that was just really, like you said, it's really simple, but effective because they know, wow, she was paying attention. Right. We were talking about our favorite snack and she might not even like it, but she was paying attention to what we like. Right. It's a conscious effort to get to know kids. But yeah. it doesn't mean like the... 40 minutes of getting to know kids. It might be just- Right, it can be very quick, yeah. The second part you have is two keys to motivation for ELs. Can you talk about that? Sure, okay. So um, basically you have to make some sort of connection to what they already know, right? So you have to think about, you know, what if their, what if their experiences led them to up to, to the point I'm working with them, right? And then how can I make them feel comfortable? So talking about that effective filter, right? How can I make them feel comfortable working with me, working with each other, whether it's in a virtual setting or if it's in person, so that they're willing to take that extra step into language learning. And when you're willing, that's when the magic happens, right? That's when the language learning, it's like you, I love, I'm gonna quote you again, Ty, I'm gonna quote you. Seek participation before perfection so if you can get them to participate because they feel comfortable and you've helped lower that effective filter then they're not going to worry as much about the perfection right they're going to worry more about they're going to be engaged with the communication piece of it right just being active and being a part of the lesson as opposed to oh my goodness am i saying it right i don't remember that word uh i'm going to pronounce it wrong i'm going to make a fool of myself or you know those kind of things that that we all experience as language learners, you know, we've all we've all been through that. If you learned a second language, right. it's because as teachers or in particular language specialists, kids are on edge with us in the beginning because like, oh no, my grammar is not good. It's not. I'm not doing it well, uh, and they, they have all these insecurities. But when we take the time to to say, oh, it, it's like we want you just to participate. It's okay. We'll get there. We're not trying to fix you. It's okay. This is just a, this is just trial, and this is just uh, getting familiar and developing your competency. It's okay. Right. And when kids realize, oh, okay, I, I'm in a safe, supportive, welcoming place, they're gonna be like, oh yeah, it's gonna be yeah. okay to to take risk. Right. And you show them that you're a risk taker too. You know, if you're like you mentioned that you have students from all over Southeast Asia and other places in the world. They have different native languages. If you're willing to take the risk and learn a couple words in their native language and show them, hey, I might not be pronouncing it perfectly, but I'm making the effort to show you that I value your native language, that goes a long way. And I mean, Thailand was the perfect, perfect example for me. In fact, I use it often in my trainings because in Thailand, I know that I had horrendous pronunciation. Wow. However, <laughs> however, the people were so willing to let me try, right? 
and they just did the ka 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 you know they were just always like okay okay try again say it again you know um and my sweet host mom would say you know she'd be like try again try again <laughs> you know and then she would laugh about my you know she we would have a good laugh right it was very friendly it was very encouraging um and she would joke about how I always wanted to just learn all the food words because I loved all the food in Thailand. <laughs> and the teachers would say, you know, um, they would teach us key phrases too and then have us practice. Mm -hmm. So just being willing to try and to have an audience in which, and you know, where we are the teachers, we accept students' mm -hmm. effort and we don't look for that perfection, but we accept the effort. Mm -hmm. And then they're willing to give just a little bit more, right? They're willing to just extend that learning just a little bit more each time. Because to put yourself out there to look like you're not competent takes a lot. Right. Like that's really hard for kids. And definitely when you, let's say that you're a middle schooler, you have all these insecurities of like, oh, I'm not fitting in, I'm not cool enough. And then now you have to speak in a language that you're not familiar with. Oh my goodness. Like they, the fact that kids show up, the fact that multilinguals show up to our schools every single day, that is already a victory. Right, right. right. And then just pouring into them that that just affirming that it's worth the effort, right? Like it's worth it to be a bilingual right. student or a multilingual student, right? It's not easy. We're not, nobody's saying it's easy, but it's worth it. It's going to be worth it. It's worth it. You also, I also love how you structured your book. It's like the ABCs. I'm like, oh, amplifying language development. The B is bridging content connections. And the C is like cultivating relationships. So that's the last part we kind of talked about that. Let's spend some time talking about the A. Okay, great. Yeah, so amplifying language development, I, tr I encourage teachers to use, um, just basically using your time wisely or you know, smarter, not harder. How can I create an, an environment in which students want to practice both reading and writing and listening and speaking, just all those domains of language? They want to practice and revisit those different domains throughout your lesson because they're engaged, right? So things as simple as making it game-like, you know, incorporating music, having stem sentences and key vocabulary with visuals, you know, all those ESL strategies we know about, how can we use those? to encourage students to, to play with language, to have fun with it and come away maybe chanting something in their head, like they can't get it out of their head because they've been singing a song or um, you know, they've learned a poem or they've talked with other people and they've practiced the same sentence to, you know, 10 times. So now it's embedded in their brain. Right. Um, so just taking those opportunities and using those strategies, those activities in the book to give them those opportunities that they, they most likely will not have outside of my classroom. Right where they won't have in that structured way where they feel really confident to practice. And when you're talking about amplifying language, I hear just getting them to participate. The language. Yes. And then that's how yeah. they'll understand the content. And then that's how the language develop. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Can you share with us some strategies? You, I see you have sections of called move and talk, role play and music. Yes, there's a little, there's kind of an embedded idea in there that I don't explicitly talk about much, but the idea of movement because I often tell people, you know, our bodies were made for movement. So we're not made to be stationary, sedentary people. That's why, you know, we have muscles and bones. Otherwise, you know, if we were just blobs, then we would not mean to move, right? But our bodies were meant for movement. So, um, you know, when I'm in person, I often have uh, students use gestures, but you can also do it online. So just using TPR and using different movement and activating your body so that your brain can 
um, get enough oxygen and then remember because if you have like a you know we know that if you have a non-linguistic representation like a movement or um, a visual and then you tie that to the linguistic application then you're going to have a you're going to be much more successful remembering the the term the idea the the phrase whatever it might be right mm -hmm. um so in the amplifying language development i do incorporate that in the move and talk so um at the end of each section you'll see the or I guess I should say throughout the sections, you'll see. And I started with my absolute favorite, which is what I was pretty much describing as my seed earlier, which yeah. is the gallery walk and talk. Because you can use visuals, you can use realia, you can use samples, you can use quotes, you can use text, whatever you want to use. But it's structured in a way that there's no burnout. So it's just a quick exposure, maybe a conversation, maybe you're in a breakout room, maybe you're in person in a cooperative group or partnership. And you are practicing that language in a digestible way. So it's maybe just one sentence stem and then you have an applicant, you have a visual or you have a little chunk of text and then you're gonna discuss it with a partner and you're gonna write one sentence. So it's, it's digestible, but you're also, again, you're hitting on those domains of language so that it's not just listening, it's not just speaking, it's all four so that you have a much greater chance of remembering it and engaging with the material. It's integrated. Integrated, yeah. Right. And the movement is so incredibly helpful. I'm thinking of your middle schoolers, right? Oh man, I mean, for all students really, but I noticed that when students go from elementary to middle school, oftentimes it's really easy for teachers to forget that they need movement too. Yes. Because in traditional, at least in most American schools, students are moving every like 50 minutes to another class. Right. So teachers often can think, well, they're getting some movement, they're walking the hall or they're, change, they're transitioning. Right. But sitting down for 45 minutes is really tough right. on your brain and your body. <laughs> so having a few moments of transition in your classroom, and of course you have to figure out what works for your students, right. even just a few transitions can be really, really helpful in keeping you engaged. The way that I do it um, for movement is when I teach a very specific tier two word, like I, I teach my, I'm teaching my kids the word significance. And so what I'll do is I'll teach them the word, but then I'll also go, I'll project um, American Sign Language Dictionary online. We'll find the word significance, we'll play it, and, and then the kids will go like this. So that's the symbol. It's like two pinched uh, fingers from the bottom all the way to the top. Yeah. And so that's, that means significance. Yeah, that's it. You got it. Yeah. What an excellent tool. What an excellent tool. Tell me one more time, you'll project the American Sign Language website? Yep. And then when you click on the, when you type a word like significance or effect, um, the word will come up as a picture of someone gesturing the, the movement in your hands. The movement. Yeah. And then so I ask kids to do it. Right. And the Why kids not? remember. Yeah. Right? And I always say it's okay to make up gestures on the fly, but if you actually know the American Sign Language for it, why not use it? Right. right. <laughs> Right. So we're teaching kids to be multilingual and it doesn't have to be linguistic. It can be a different right. kind of lingual. Exactly. Exactly. You said you started off with uh, your favorite activity. And so that means, yes, that's a, that's definitely I want you to something I want you to talk about. Can you share with us that gallery walk? Yes. OK, so the gallery walk and talk is basically where, uh, again, this will work virtually or uh, in person. You create some meaningful stations and you have, of course, your objective. So what is my key vocabulary? What is what are the key phrases? How am I going to help my students amplify their language by either writing or speaking or maybe both in complete sentences around the word? So you create stations around your room. You decide how many is an appropriate number and then you group students 
and you give them a specific amount of time to work at each station. I say no more than five minutes so that they can work together, maybe have roles that they play. I'm the reader, I'm the writer, you know, and then I often have students chunk up their papers. So they have, okay, station one, station two, they know exactly where to write. So that lowers their effective filter, right? They know exactly what they're supposed to be doing. The instructions are very clear. And then they travel with their, their partner or their group to the different stations, completing the work. And usually at the end, um, just to kind of differentiate for those who need it, have a little time to reread your writing, share with another partner, revisit a station if you need to. You have an extra, let's say you have an extra five minutes. If you need to go revisit another station, please go do that. Um, if you need assistance, let's say virtually, okay, send me a note in the chat or let's get in breakout groups and practice all the sentences that we've just written, that kind of thing. So it keeps them very structured, but also builds their confidence because they know that there is a finite task they have at each station. And are the, sta are the stations, do they have to go in a sequence or they can go to different sequences? They don't have to. Yeah, I like that idea of gallery. So if you're in a museum and you're looking at artwork in a gallery, you might jump around. So again, you have to read your audience and it goes back to knowing that your students, right? Those relationships. Um, if you think it would be more beneficial for them to have choice where they go, that can work. If you feel like your students really need that structure of going around like clockwise, let's say, then you might want to keep it to that. And then maybe eventually once they have that in place, move it to more of a gallery, a choice. Oh, that's nice. Can you give us an example of two or three stations that you might do? Sure. Okay. Um, let's see. Let's just talk. Let's talk social studies, right? Yay. Yay. You got me ignited about social studies. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's say you have some key, um, key historical figures, right? Mm -hmm. And let's say you're teaching about, you know, um, the, the Revolutionary War. Yes. So in the United States, so um, you might have a picture of King George, right? And then you might have the, you might have the, um, you know, revolutionary soldiers in one picture. So you might have different pictures and they're labeled, or maybe there's a little bit of text at each station, but you might choose the same sentence stem. So for example, you might say blank, as in the person, right, was significant in the revolution, during the Revolutionary War because, right? Or the name of this, if you had more beginners, you might just have the name of this revolutionary uh, figure was blank. Yes. And so it's, they have all the language necessary to be successful. They don't have to come up with anything if they're beginners, right? They just see the label, they see the sentence, they practice the sentence them. And so they can fill in maybe one or two. Um, or this, this illustration depicts blank. And then they just fill in the name. So it could work for beginners. It could work for really any language uh, level but they're writing complete sentences and they're using that tier two vocabulary, right? They're becoming more confident using that academic vocabulary. And it's content-based, because I'm just yes. hearing, like they're, they're learning about the content, like the different figures in the revolution and war, uh, but they're also looking at tier two words, they're also reading instructions, but they're also writing answers. Um, yes. They're looking at diagrams and there's so many things that you could create. It's not just, oh, it's not activity-based, it's actually content-based. Uh, with something with in a way that kids are going to be engaged right yes keeps them engaged and it's easy you can pair up beginners with more advanced students you don't have to worry so much about who do I pair up with it's more I know these students work well together and they're going to help each other stay engaged and motivated and I have a sentence for the beginner but I also have a more challenging sentence 
for a more advanced learner to challenge them. And you could have uh, multi-language stations as well. And so it yes. can be like a Spanish, like if you're teach, teaching in a dual language school, you could have a station for in Spanish or then home language, right? Or even if you don't, because I, I have at least seven, eight, nine languages in my classes at a time. Yeah. And so what, I, what the instructions might be, um, find a video uh, about this person in your home language and watch mm. about that person if there is a video, yeah? Or right. watch this video, but turn it in, turn on the closed caption, but turn it into your, in your home language. If you can read it in your Wow, home. ooh, I love that twist. I love yeah. it, yes. Let's yes, move. there are some, actually in that, there's another activity in here about music yeah. that is similar to what you're describing. Like find a video that, that describes or that sings about a, a certain content. Right. And there's so many great resources out there that students are actually more adept at finding than we are as educators sometimes. So just putting that responsibility in their hands and that and that um, that tool in their hands and they can they can be the master of it. There's lots of um, YouTube channels or YouTube YouTubers who spend their time making raps about like uh, plant cells and animal cells. I'm like, wow. I'm so impressed. Thank you for you. I'm happy. I'm grateful that they're doing it and not me. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Let's and they can see that students their age sometimes are singing on there. Yeah. So that can be motivational. Right. Let's move to B, which is bridging content connections. We kind of started, start, started talking about it. Would you talk about that? Sure. Um, so, yeah, we started talking. And of course, these all overlap. Right. All these all these sections are not mutually exclusive, but the idea of bridging content connections is considering, and again, being just aware as a teacher, what have my students been exposed to? What kind of key questions can I ask them to find out what they already know about a topic? I might be surprised that they know something about a topic and maybe I was gonna assume they didn't, right? Or maybe I'm surprised that they don't know about a topic and I thought they might. So just really taking the time to figure out what do they already know about a subject and also how can I tie that in? Right. How can I tie that in? And, you know, some of the greatest teachers of history used metaphors, used analogies, right, used um, parables. So, you know, I'm often reminded, like, you know, the Bible is full of parables because why? Because Jesus was a good teacher, because he knew that if he could relate to something that was an everyday occurrence in someone's daily life and connected to what you want them to then learn, it's just so much easier to make that transition, right. right? So like for me, I love plants. I love being out in my garden. So if you're gonna, if you want me to learn something I don't know about, connect it to some plant life, right? Connect it to something that you see in my garden. Oh, I see that, you know, the butterflies are visiting this flower over this flower. Why is that? Well, you know, um, make some connection. Right. And, you know, just as some silly examples, it doesn't have to be anything um, you know, deep or academic necessarily, you know, if you notice an interest in your student that your students have, like you've taken the time to get to know them, that can be your link, right? Like if I know my students love playing soccer, well, what kind of connection can I make between soccer and what I'm teaching them in social studies, right? Or, I mean, you could go as, you know, okay, we're going to learn about this famous battle. Well, it's just like the two teams in soccer, right? They're battling over the ball and they you know, they want to get to the goal. The goal is winning the battle, right? But how do they do that? What's the strategy involved? And, you know, that can, and it's like, whoa, they just, their mind was blown, right? They just suddenly they're engaged and they're wanting to know more about social studies. So 
just trying to create those connections by getting to know your students and then incorporating what they know into the content. I mean, you're speaking academic research right here for us because everything that everything that um, the scholars in our field have worked on for years, they've talked about tapping into students' assets. And this means like, what do kids already know? Let's bring it, they're not empty vessels. They're, nothing about them is broken, right? So right. they actually come with cultural, rich cultural experiences, lived experiences, um, expertise in their own thing. How, how can we connect it to, how, we have to learn about what they know and then how, find a connection somehow to that, right? Right. So that's, that's, you're really talking about assets, asset-based yes. starts with. And I think, I know as, as teachers, if you've ever experienced learning from a student, right. something you thought, wow, I can't believe I didn't know that. Um, I mean, I remember learning as a fourth grade Texas history teacher, I didn't realize that the Me Mexicans called the river that, that is the border between Mexico and Texas, Rio Bravo, oh. instead of Rio Grande. They don't call it the same thing we call it in Texas. There's a whole history behind why that is. And a student brought that up one day and I had to ask them more and research it. And it became a topic that was so fascinating. Right. You know, there's, in other words, there's always different perspectives of the same event and the same geographical region and there's different perspectives. So, you know, as multilinguals, we're gonna have multiple perspectives right. on any given topic, right? Um, so you can tap into that. How do you, speaking of tapping into that, how do you uh, learn about kids' background experiences? Well, I have some questions that I love to ask students. Yeah. And you try to let it arise organically, or you may have like a question of the day, like you were saying, you know, think of something you're grateful for that has happened or that you've noticed in your life in the last 24 hours. That is such a great question. Um, so you can ask them specific questions like, what did you eat for dinner last night? And how does that reflect your culture? Or how does that how is that unique to your family? You know, um, because my, my own children are half Venezuelan. My husband is originally from Venezuela and South America. So they will sometimes be talking with their friends and their friends might say, what is that? What? You know, they'll just throw in a word like arepa, which is like something we eat. Um, and then they'll have to say, oh, well, it's, you know, it's like these corn patties that we make from corn flour. And then we put different things inside them, you know. And then boom, my kids have just taught their friend about something that is culturally unique to our family. Whereas, um, and the same thing if my kids were in Venezuela, right. talking about something that is like the, from their American side of their culture. So multilingual students and families have such unique traditions, right? And just unique daily practices. So just asking simple questions like, what did you have for dinner last night? What's one thing you can teach us about from, you know, or tell us about what you're, one of your parents does for a living or what's a skill that your grandmother has or your aunt or someone you see regularly has that maybe we don't know about or um you know just asking them like fun key questions right. to get them started and again it doesn't have to take much time it could be we're highlighting one student but it creates a really meaningful conversation in your classroom so the other students want to learn they want to learn from each other as well and not just from you as the teacher right i can see I guess the way you could do this is maybe you could say, because I'm teaching so-so studies, so I'm teaching right now uh, about explorers, okay. right? Well, well, really colonists. And I would, I can ask them, um, what have you done? Give me a place where you've explored before, or 
have explored with others or a place you want to explore, right? To start the unit, right? And right. So like what if, if someone walked into your house tonight to explore your house, what is something they might find and what would that tell them about your family life or something that's just like incredibly personal where they, you don't give them the chance to say, oh, I don't know. Um, I can't think of anything, you know, it's so specific. Like, okay, somebody walked into your kitchen, they picked up something off the counter. What is it? How does that reflect something, a tradition or a, an action that your family has right. in place in your home? So with those questions, we have content in, like, we have a content goal that we want them to connect to, but we're starting off with something that they're already familiar with and yes. asking those questions is so super easy. And now with online, we can ask kids and they can all type their answers in, but when we're in person, we can still have a platform out, have them type it, and then everything will populate on the screen. And so we then we then yeah. all students are participating. Right, right. Yes, there's an activity we've been doing, um, I've been doing with teachers and students, where it's basically a show and tell. Yeah. So you say, but you can use whatever content you want, right? So if you're going to try to talk about explorers, and you talk about the danger, the danger that the explorers faced yes. in, you know, loading up ships and having to sail across seas to go explore what's some i want you to go find something in your house that could be dangerous could be used as a weapon or i don't know you know just appealing to your audience right and something simple like oh you know i'm like grabbing this uh, i have this essential oil right well it could be dangerous because <laughs> i've had it happen actually peppermint if you don't tell someone don't put it near your eye oh. it's very painful <laughs> So that could be a weapon, you know, like, I don't know, um, you know, just tying it to like, this could be dangerous because right. and creating a sentence to them in which they have to express themselves and really think about it or what's something in, you know, what, it, what was the motivation behind these explorers, right? Well, they were being paid by some, usually some monarchy, right? They were being paid, they were commissioned, right? Mm -hmm. um, so what kind of payment was it? Go find something in your house that's valuable. What would be considered really valuable to you? Like an object in your room or an object in your, you know. So just being able to share something that's personal, but like you said, connects, directly connects to the content. And then boom, okay, I've this five minutes or we've all shared real quick on a Padlet or on maybe Zoom chat or maybe in breakout rooms. And then I'm gonna quickly connect it to, okay, now imagine you're an explorer. You have to think about what is valuable to you. What do you wanna hold on to? You know, what's your goal? What's your motivation for crossing the sea and, and, and possibly enduring just, you know, fatal storms, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So, because when we do this, we just really help kids form a, a schema of what the content is about, right? So, the yes. concept of exploration or the concept of values or the concept of something valuable, they already get it now, right? These, these right. Are, it's like that tier two theme vocabulary, right? right? You were talking about significance, right? right. Like, I gotta practice my significance. Nice, very, very nice. <laughs> You won't forget it. I, it. I am gonna steal that idea, I love that. I'm gonna steal the idea of using the, the signs, that's great. Yes, ASL, yes, please do. Um, so in your Bridging Content Connections, we talk choices and student autonomy, meeting content and language goals and meaningful endeavors. I would love for you to talk about meaningful endeavors, but is there anything you want to talk about with these other twos? Oh, yes. Oh, it's so hard to choose. I know. I know. Um, I'm so passionate thing. about all of it. But I'm going to, yes, let me talk about meaningful endeavors. Basically, that's the idea of that you have purpose outside of just, I'm learning English or I'm learning Spanish or I'm learning French, whatever it might be, right? I have, a, I have an outside purpose. 
And I, it was funny, I was just listening to this podcast the other day that was about the four basic human social needs or emotional needs, I should say, apart from physical needs. And one of the biggest ones is purpose, right? So a lot of times students have been in transition and you were mentioning like, for example, all your students are coming from different countries. A lot of times in the US we're having students who are coming as immigrant students and they're under very challenging situations, right? Economically or emotionally or physically. And then on top of which they're having to learn language, right? So, um, and I highlighted one teacher who works, um, who was in Dallas area, who had her students basically participate in something really meaningful outside themselves. So community service projects or creating a book and sharing it with younger students or um, another example from dual languages, we would pair up like maybe kindergarten students with second graders and they would read to the kindergartners. So they had a purpose for becoming more literate, for becoming more fluent readers because they wanted to share their favorite books with the kindergartners, right? It doesn't have to be something profound like I'm going to feed all the hungry people in my community, right? <laughs> it can be something simple like I'm going to read a book, maybe I'm going to create a, a video and share it with elderly at a you know, at an elderly care facility or something. Um, it could be something simple as I'm gonna learn how to write these sentences so I can write a note to encourage someone who is homebound or encourage someone who is also a beginner English speaker and needs that encouragement. So thinking of something that's just outside themselves. Um, one example was, I, and I told you I have a passion for plants. So I started a, a small school garden um, at the last elementary school where I was. But you don't have to start a whole garden. I mean, you could literally, if you have a classroom, you could just have some plants in the window and the students have to care for them. Right. So doing something that's outside of themselves, it's not just selfish because we are naturally selfish as human beings, right? But to think of like, okay, now I'm gonna care for this plant. Now I'm gonna care for, um, you know, a student across the hall is gonna be my buddy that I'm gonna share positive notes with or, um, I've seen middle school teachers actually put, and I don't think I have a picture in my book, but I've since taken pictures where they write positive notes and they put them on the mirrors in the bathroom so that you can take one, you know, like, you know, you can do this. You're going to have a great day. Do your best in science today or whatever it might be. They can take one and put one. So um, basically the idea behind meaningful endeavors is do something outside yourself that is going to give you purpose for your language learning. And I, I wrote down the word like there are no worksheets, like meaningful endeavors are not worksheets. They're not worksheets. Stop, stop copying them and setting, giving them to kids, right? They're, right, right. Something purposeful. So I'm thinking about uh, social studies, grade eight. And so where the unit is about uh, human rights. And so I'm thinking about maybe in, in the future, I'm going to have my kids write about research about a human uh, rights issue and then uh, turn it into a, a children's book. So they'll have characters, they'll have settings, they'll have places, they'll have uh, conflicts. And then so they're gonna write a prologue about like what's the, what's the human right? They're gonna write the narrative part. Then they're gonna write an epilogue of like saying like, why does this matter? How can we help? And then they're gonna possibly read it to the elementary school because we have, because we have elementary school on campus. And so Wonderful. that's something meaningful, right? Definitely. Right. Oh, I love that idea, fantastic. So they have a purpose for the language. It's always saying like uh, content gives students purpose to use language. Right. And you have to have a reason to want to use your language, right? Yes. And then language gives kids access to the content. Right. It's yes. Even Stephen Cashin said you have to have, you know, um, not just the input, but the, you know, compelling input. It has to be something I want to learn, right? So, and then that's kind of where music ties in too, right? Most students, most 
humans enjoy some kind of music, right? So if you can integrate music into your language learning, not only does it get stuck in your head, which is great for language learning, but it's motivational because it's enjoyable. It's something you can share with other people. Let's move to, uh, oh, for about music, the kids can also share their music from their home culture as well, yeah. right? And so this is, I'm thinking about, oh, another sustaining students' connections to their culture and their linguistic backgrounds, and that's another way. Yeah, yeah it can be very humorous too to try to translate, <laughs> you know, into English or into the target language yeah. from another language because, because music is so poetic. Right. It can be very challenging and humorous. So that's yeah. a fun activity to get people to do, yeah. Your last section that we kind of also talked about is cultivating relationships. So we have classroom routines, students' interests, which we talked about a lot, and then connection with community. So which one of those would you like to talk about? Oh, man, that's so tough. Okay, I'm going to cheat and look at my book, too, just for fun, because it's going to be hard. Okay, I'm going to pick one that I think teachers can use right away when they get to know their students in the upcoming school year. Yeah. So that's, um, if you have the book, it's on page 78, but it's mini conference logs. And this helped me because I'm not a naturally organized person. <laughs> and so I needed ways to be organized, but in a simple fashion, right? So I, I discovered this with a teacher that I was working with, that if we just had a simple spreadsheet, I could make sure that I'm, I'm, I'm meeting with each student and I'm meeting their needs and I'm getting to know them by having some, you can give yourself some simple questions like we talked about earlier, what am I gonna ask the student? And then meeting in either one-on-one -on -one or in a small group and checking in with those students. So if I'm working on, let's say you're working on writing the children's book, like you mentioned. So that could be a great way to think, okay, so I'm gonna check in with, I'll just use some students' names, right? So I'm gonna check in with these three students, right? Jack, John, and Jill, right? So they're coming in and I'm just gonna check in with them really quickly. Okay, what's your human rights issue? Where are you in the process? And just kind of hear from each one of them. How could you encourage each other to um, develop the next part of your book? Or what's something you're struggling with and you could use our input, you could use our brainstorming. And then I check their names off like, okay, I met with them this day and I, and then I kind of have an idea of where they are. So that way, when I go back to meet with them the next time I meet with them, I have a understanding of where they, where they were and what they're working on. And then I know where to take it from there. Right. Like so just, that helps me get to know my students because I'm meeting with them in small groups or one-on-one. -on -one. And then um, I'm also making sure that no one's left out. There's not someone that's just struggling and, and they're not going to say anything because they're not the kind of student who's going to who's going to bring it up to me as an issue. But I know I'm checking in with each of my students. Right. It, it builds in uh, accountability for us. It builds in equity for kids because now we're meeting yeah. with each kid. Right. Yeah. And it just naturally helps you get to know them because you're in a smaller group. Right. right. I always I always uh, I remember there was a webinar. There was a teacher that said, like, how do you build relationships with kids? And I said, we spend time with kids. Right? Quality time. Right. <laughs> yeah. like love is love equals a, a relate, love equals time spent. Mm -hmm. Right. And so we find time to spend with kids, and that means conferences with kids. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. You also talked about uh, connections with the community. Let's end with that. Right. Oh, great. Okay. Well, I noticed throughout my teaching and then in in consulting as well is you know, everyone has a unique home life situation. Yeah. And a lot of times students come from other countries and they might be living with a grandparent, they might be living with an aunt and uncle, they might be living with 
um, you know, just they might have a, just a unique combination of, or they might just have a traditional family, right? Where it's, you know, mom, dad, and a couple of kids, right? So it just depends. Um, and when we ask them to participate in something uh, that's going to pull in their background knowledge, and like I said, those two non-negotiables, right? So helping them feel comfortable and also pulling in what they already know, their prior knowledge. So the community, the section where I mentioned just a few activities, of course, there are whole books written about this that are wonderful, but just a few ideas. Um, one that is just really came to me with um, my dissertation was, it's on page 82 in the book called School Logs. And one of my colleagues helped me come up with that term because we thought about, okay, it's like dialogues, right? But it has to do with our shared school experience, or it could be our shared uh, immigration experience, right? It could be, it could be any, any number of things for students, right? Um, but what do we have in common just because we go to the same school? So your mm -hmm. students, even let's say you have a student from France and you have a student from Korea, South Korea, let's say, I don't, you know, um, or India, they're going to have something in common just because they go to your school, right? So they know where the cafeteria is, let's say, or they know where kids hang out to wait for a ride home or to take a bus or whatever, you know, take tra you know, public transportation. Um, you have certain traditions because you're an IB school, let's say, right? So, okay, so we have that in common. So you can tap into all those things. And what I noticed, one of my, going back to our prior conversation was one of the big epiphanies from my dissertation was noticing all the time students brought up those common, those shared school logs. They brought up those shared school experiences with each other. Like they might be talking about a battle in Texas history, right? And they bring up, remember that game we played in PE where we had to pretend like we were ants and then like we killed some ants and they had to jump inside the circle. And half the time, I didn't even know what they were talking about, right? Because I hadn't seen them play that game in PE, but they knew, right? They had that shared experience. And so they used that to help propel their language learning or the development of their play. So helping them realize, just being aware and helping them realize and being intentional about what do you guys have in common just because you go to the same school? Right. And sometimes because you live in the same community, right? Just depending. Right. Um, and, then, and then just another, just kind of furthermore is um, asking them to tap into their community, asking them to tap into the talent and the knowledge that lies within their home life, right? Whoever they live with. So, you know, interviewing your parents, your grandparents, your aunt and uncle, whoever it is, your, your older siblings, your younger siblings, you know, what can we learn about you from those and how can you help, you know, and it also, of course, develop your language because you might be asking them in your native language at home, but then you're going to tell us in English. So that's really helping you negotiate language in your own brain and make the, you know, create those translanguaging movements in your brain. Right. I love that you talked about, it's all about um, asset base. Again, we started with talking about mm -hmm. asset base, thinking about kids, yes. what they bring with, they bring to school with, but also their home lives and their communities also have assets that we can also yes. utilize and invite and incorporate. And so you're ending with, let's bring it into school, right? Let's not have this school community divide, right? Right. So I'm thinking your word, I love your keyword, like significance, right? Yes. So, you know, you could ask your students, um, what is a significant tradition for your family? Yes. What is a significant meal? What's a significant um, phrase that you use as a family. I don't know. What's a significant song that you listen to as a family? Yes. You could tie that word into so many personal connections, right, for your students in their community. Right. And that can be one of the stations, going back to the stations that you talked about, right? And we can go and right. say, like, we can, like, one of the stations can be like a community 
community station where kids interview each other. They say like, oh, um, at your, okay, in the station we talk about what is uh, a place that people can explore in your country. So we're looking about that. We're thinking about that explore concept again, right? Right, right. So, Significant historical right. place. Or right, like, and then talk about that. Right? Exactly. And so, um, and, or kids can go for homework, they can interview a family member and so they can prepare for that community center, right? right. So grandma, grandpa, or aunt or uncle can't be there, but at homework they can uh, just simply interview in the home language. Right. And now this right. brings the family members into the school metaphorically, uh, but then families feel like they are valued. And then yes. when they go to that community center as a station, they're actually sharing what their family members uh, reported back to them. And so right. right here, we're bringing the assets right here. We're sustaining students connections to their family and their mm -hmm. culture. And uh, we're making we're using that uh, to further students academic experience and their understanding of content. Exactly. Can you imagine how rich that conversation would be if I went home and asked my, you know, aunt, let's say my that I don't know much about her. Right. And I said, what is this significant historical event that happened during your lifetime or during your, you know, teenagers or your 20, your early adult life? And man, that would be so telling. That would be right. so fun to listen to and then be able to share with my my colleagues. Right. As a student. Right. It's really about saying like. Uh, even if the family members don't speak English, they still have so much to offer just by telling stories to kids. Right. right? And they value, life. and you're showing, I value your home language. And I know, I have confidence that you can bridge your home language to your target language right. Right. and make adjustments and, and translate as necessary. And that, and that's, you know, that's mentally challenging. That's very academically challenging as well. There's an activity that Kathy Escamilla does in one of her, I think one of her books, or I read it somewhere, it's called Así Se Dice. It's like, here's how you say it, right? So here's how you would say it in English, even though in Spanish, or maybe it's a, maybe it's a false cognate. It, it, it sounds like a word, but that's not the same meaning, right? So I have to kind of explain it to my, to my class, right? This is why this word is not the same as this word. And Here's how I would say it in a different way in English. Right. So we're looking about the cultural, we're examining the way that languages are work, the way yeah. languages work in different contexts. So, right. yeah. so that cross linguistic connection, examination. Exactly. Well, it's coming to a close of a pod, the podcast, and I am just loving this conversation so much. Fine. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I always end with something called traffic light teaching. And so okay. a red light is something that you would ask teachers to stop doing. A <laughs> yellow light is you, something that you ask them to keep doing. Okay. And then a green light is something you would ask them to start doing. Ooh, okay. Great. Okay, which one should I start with? Does Up it matter? To you. Yeah. Up to me. Okay. I'll go from stop to start. How about that? Sure, yeah. Okay, red. Okay. Red would be stop trying to harshly separate language. Yes. <laughs> Remembering that your multilingual students are in fact contain a multilingual brain, right? They're not all these separate brains walking around in one head. So stop, stop feeling the guilt of language mixing or blending or translanguaging and realize that that is actually an asset. That's actually a gift that they have, that they bring to the table. 
Um, and also just release yourself from that guilt of, oh my goodness, I'm not sticking 99.9% of the time in the, in the target language. It's okay to bring in other languages because it's helping make those connections for right. students, right. which is not the same as simultaneous, you know, as translate, uh, excuse me, translating, right? It's not the same as translating, but using your bilingual brain or your multilingual brain. Um, so stop feeling bad about that and use it as an asset. Okay, yellow, remind me what yellow is. Keep doing. Keep doing, okay. Okay, yellow, I would say keep doing, um, keep learning from your students. Right. Keep learning from your students. So keep being willing to explore those relationships, invest in the relationships, and be willing to be a student yourself. Be willing to learn um, culturally, linguistically, academically, everything from your students. And then green, start doing, start, start being really intentional about having fun with language. <laughs> so be really intentional about trying to um, show your students that language is fun and demonstrate how it's fun through games, through songs, through different activities you could find in this book or find elsewhere that will show your students that language learning is so much fun. And it's a lifelong blessing to be able to enjoy with your, you know, both for yourself and for your relationships with others. Bring in the fun. <laughs> and I bet fun was the word that your fourth graders would describe your class. Oh, I hope so. I hope so. It is fun. I run into them sometimes because I live in the town where I taught them. And I will often, I love to ask former students who maybe are now 20, right? What do you remember from fourth grade or what do you remember from second grade, right? And most of them will say the games we played, the songs we sang, and the time we spent in the school garden. Oh my God. Because, and that helps me, remind me, right? Those are things that motivate us as language learners, having fun with language right. in different ways. Right. It's not about like the activity, the worksheet we did, the right. uh, dissecting of this verb or like conjugating of this verb. No, I love like, it when you made me conjugate right. this verb. Thank you so much for making me dissect <laughs> a sentence again. Oh man, yeah, the language learning. I remember the, just, I'll, I'll just end with this really funny um, visual, right? I found out that after Halloween here, you can get free pumpkins most places. They'll just give you, because they're just wanting to get rid of them, right? So I started having this tradition where I would do all this language learning around pumpkins because I could get all these free pumpkins, right? So I'd bring in like 20 pumpkins the day after the, uh, Halloween. And then we would cut them apart. We'd have to, you know, estimate how many seeds were in each one. And then we would write about how we would, what we would make if we were going to make something out of pumpkins. Would we make, you know, pumpkin empanadas? Would we make pumpkin pie? Would we make pumpkin cheese? cheesecake squares, whatever, you know what we make, right? Yes. And then we would roast the pump, we'd clean and roast the pumpkin seeds and we'd all sample them and have different spices. Everybody would bring different spices they, they wanted to use, you know? And I just remember being like hands deep, like up to my elbows in this slimy, pumpkin-y, you know, uh, entanglement, right? Yes. And just thinking like, this is what teaching is about. This is so much fun. I can't believe I get to do this for a living, right? I get to like, have these hands-on experiences, get to teach my kids, laugh with them, make a mess, and then learn all this language and the writing that would come out of that. We would do shared writing or they would do writing in small groups because we had explored and gotten really hands-on, right? And just like laughed and, and joked about how gross it was and how fun it was and how tasty it was. And um, just exploring all those aspects of language learning and bringing it to life and why, why we want to learn another language. It's so exciting. 
if I had a kid, I would be rushing my fourth grader to your classroom in <laughs> <Yay>. the garden. <laughs> well, again, thank you for this gift of an hour and the gift of your book. Thank you so much for having me. And I really appreciate all the meaningful questions. You did such an amazing example, you know, just a job of an example of meaningful questions you can ask to find out about your students. Oh, it's you just have to that. show up and you actually authentically want to care. That's it. Yeah, so true. God bless you, Tan. And thank you for so much for having me. Oh, I feel blessed. Thank you, already. teachers. Thank you so much for all you do for students. Every day counts. Every minute with your student counts. Every day counts. What a great way to end.